Hello, my name is A. Kovacs. I am the co-founder of Empty Set Entertainment. And I am Scott Sigler, New York Times bestselling novelist and bon vivant. <laughs> and this is episode number one of Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. Today in the podcast, we'll be talking smack about Dr. Dr. Strange. Dr. Strange. We also have another podcast on this same feed where we serialize one of Scott's novels with a new episode every Sunday. Currently, we're podcasting Pandemic, which is book three in the Horrifying Infected trilogy. And what episode of Pandemic are we We're on? coming up on episode 16 of Pandemic. Mm. Yes. All right. Well, excellent. So yeah. today, though, we are talking about Doctor Strange. Yes. And uh, this is the very first episode of Story Smack. And since this is about story, we're going to talk about two main things with Doctor Strange. The story of Doctor Strange, the story of Doctor Strange, and then a little bit of a controversial aspect of Doctor Strange, which we'll talk about after we talk about the story. Kidok. Uh So this is, as you mentioned, the first episode of Story Smack. Mm-hmm. This, if you didn't hear yet, if you didn't listen to the last by which I mean the very last episode of the Friday Fix, we are replacing the Friday Fix with this new podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, We started the Friday Fix sometime in early, mid-2009. 2008, 2009, somewhere in there, yeah. And uh, it it was very Sigler-specific and Sigler-centric. And then we kept getting emails about people wanting to hear us talk more about pop culture and things like that. Mm -hmm. So we decided we would retire that um, and leave it as it is sort of intact as a singlerific thing, and then we'd come and do this. Um, So to that end, if you listeners have anything that any pop culture story, song, game, Mm -hmm. TV show, movie, please email us if you would like us to talk about it. Uh, You can email us at info at emptyset.com. That's I-N-F-O at emptyset.com. And we're looking for things that a lot of people have experienced. So if you have your favorite album from 1983, that's very story specific, uh, Queensryche Operation Mindcrime, for example, we're probably probably not going to get too much into that. We're looking for something bigger and broader. Well, and something that pe- that lots of people can participate in if they so choose. Like yes. We want them to be excited about a story. One of the things that we planned on doing is hopefully setting up um, a kind of a story smack calendar at at scottsegler.com where you can look there and realize, you know, three the third week of January, we're going to be talking about Dr. Zhivago mm-hmm. or something like that. I'm not saying we've scheduled that, but you'll know what we're doing in case you want to hear it before, or you want to watch it or Very see cool. the story or whatever beforehand. That will be handy. Mm-hmm. And this is a spoiler cast. We're oh, going to absolutely. spoil the crap out of Doctor Marvel's Doctor Strange. So if you haven't seen it and you don't want to be spoiled, don't listen. Yeah. And to be fair, I'm going to give a spoiler warning in general. This is a spoiler cast. If we're going to talk spoilers about the X-Files as part of our discussion of Doctor Strange, I'll try and let you know. We'll try and let you know. But just keep mm. in mind, this is a spoiler cast. So we are going to be talking, frankly, about Doctor Strange at least. And now we're, now we're sh- let's get into it. Let's get into the meat of it. Uh, we saw this movie together in the theater. It was mm-hmm. very fun. Uh, I was a bit on the fence with it. And yeah, you were, and I loved you it. You were all the way in. Uh, yeah, I loved it. I, well, okay, I'll say I... Consciously chose to suspend disbelief at one specific moment in the story. Mm. Um, and like I said, spoiler alert, there's a little moment in the beginning where Doctor Strange, and you should watch it, it's a big, long story, uh, but uh, he is a surgeon. He's an actual surgeon, so that's why he's called Doctor Strange. And um, he he's injured, and, and he wakes up in the hospital, and or he's in a car accident, and wakes up in the hospital and asks his partner, like, oh my God, who did? And they're yeah. and, and she so he's says, looking at his wired up hands and they're all yeah, mangled and whatnot. All pins and whatnot. Eleven, yeah. eleven pins. Yeah. Um, and uh, she says, "Nobody could have done better." And he says, "I could have done better." And right before he says, "I could have done better," I leaned over to you and was like, "I could have done better." <laughs> and uh, and so for me, at that particular moment, it was like, "Okay, so that's the sort of story this is. It's a Marvel movie. It should be great. It should be fun. Mm-hmm. I am either in or I'm out. Everything is going to be ludicrous." as ludicrous as that line was, or everything's going to be fantastic, as fantastic as that line yeah. was. And I opted for fantastic, and I had a great time. <laughs> you made a conscious choice. Uh, so this is a podcast about storytelling in pop culture. So we're going to start our discussion with the people who wrote the story of Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is based on the Marvel char- Marvel Comics character created by Steve Ditko and Stan Lee, first appearing in Strange Tales number 110 in 1963. So this character's been around for a long time. The screenwriters for this were John Spates and C. Robert Cargill, who wrote, I believe they wrote in conjunct, like together, wrote it Mm -hmm. together. I don't Mm -hmm. know if one wrote, then the other followed up. 
And also participating in that was director Scott Derrickson. Spates, you may have seen his work on ads on every TV everywhere for the past two months. He is the screenwriter of Passengers, the big bu- big budget blockbuster coming up. And he also wrote the first version of Prometheus, which mm-hmm. was butchered in the rewrites, which we won't talk about. Well, we haven't, well, right. We have only seen the rewrite, right? Yeah, we've all, yeah. we've only seen the rewrite, but uh, I've glanced over the original script. It's very what came on the screen is very different from what he wrote. Right. He started out, I believe, with the Darkest Hour, which is kind of a fun monster sci-fi movie, and he right now he's writing Van Helsing and The Mummy. The Mummy's in post production, which I just found out stars Tom Cruise. Did you know this? Mm-mm. The new mummy stars Tom Cruise of all things. Uh, I met him a couple of times. He's a really nice guy. He and his wife, actress Johanna Watts, are delightful people. Uh, see Robert Cargill, who I've never met in person, but I've tweeted with a bunch. He is the writer of Sinister, which was a big, a very low, smaller budget horror movie that made a lot of money. So yeah, he did I'm very well. You're not familiar with Sinister. Um, he also he's if you look him up his Twitter feed, he's always talking about Hollywood related stuff, and it's very very interesting. And Scott Derrickson is the director of the 2008 version of The Day the Earth Stood Still and Sinister, among others. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So they were they had a good experience on the movie I've never heard of and then moved on to moved this. right on in okay, yeah, cool. right on into some big time stuff. Well, this I loved. I might have to check out Sinister. Yeah. It might give me nightmares. I don't know. I don't know if I want to watch it. It's spooky. You haven't seen it either? It's a lot of jumping cats, you know. I don't, I don't Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. How do you know that? Because I've seen the previews okay. and I've seen a couple of clips and I'm like, you yeah, know, I don't I don't know. I don't jumping know. cats doesn't sound so scary, Scott. <laughs> This, you know that phrase, though? Jumping cats? No. The jumping cat is a phrase uh, from 70s and 80s horror movies where it's a red herring. So you show the girl in the house all by herself. Oh, I and see. And you know the killer's there somewhere, and the music builds and builds, and then she opens up the closet, and it's a cat. It's Fluffy the cat jumps out. No, ah, everybody see. jumps. And then she's cuddling Fluffy the cat, and everybody's like, oh. stabbed through the, yeah. through the throat. Everybody yeah. calms down, so then the real killer comes in and, and takes care of business. The real killer meaning not the cat. Not the cat. And <laughs> Fluffy, the son of a bitch, usually runs away. Doesn't unscathed. do anything. Yeah, unscathed. Walks well, away, no problem. you know no what problem. that means. What? In cahoots with the killer. <laughs> Cats the and, killer in a clown mask. It's a cahoots. Definitely. It's, in, a, it's a cat in cahoots. Cat in cahoots. Cat in cahoots with a killer is what it is. Um, yeah. So uh, getting back to Doctor Strange instead of the, the jumping cats uh, mystery, mm-hmm. history, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, the As many Marvel movies are, Doctor Strange, this Doctor Strange is an origin story. Yes. We also went into this movie where you had some familiarity with the story and the storyline in Doctor Strange, Mm -hmm. and I had none at all. And I wondered at at right after, and and we'll talk, the most in-depth we'll talk is right now, but Mm -hmm. right after the movie, I kind of wondered if maybe your expectations were influenced by what you thought you already knew about the story, but it doesn't sound like that's the case. Not that really. wasn't your complaint. I'm really familiar with Dr. Strange and have read Dr. Strange being a comic book fan, but I was not a diehard. I did not follow the title religiously throughout. So I would, you know, uh, as anyone educated in comics of cursory familiarity with them pretty much, but not a character that I ever followed. Um, like you said, as usual for Marvel, it was an origin story. That's what they seem to specialize in, although I wonder how many times we're going to see Spider-Man's origin in my lifetime. At least a few more. At I least think. a few more. But it's also a movie about saving the world. So it's it's the Marvel formula, which is origin story. The character has to save the world. This is how he gets his powers. The clumsy getting to know his powers phase. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of the tropes that have gone into making. And we're just very familiar with them. And Marvel, even though they're kind of telling the same story over and over again, it clearly works. I mean, it, movies are making money. Yeah. The bu- I mean, and it's not, this is not a movie that's going to change the world because we've seen it mm-hmm. a, a, with Iron Man and we've seen it with one of the Spider-Mans. We've seen it with Ant-Man. Yeah. Um, but is it going to make your day better? It did for me. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was super fun to see in the theater. Yeah. The budget for Doctor Strange was $165 million. <laughs> and as some of you out there may know, there's a general rule of thumb. You assume promo and advertising budget, the spend for that is usually equal to the budget of the movie itself. So roughly $330 million invested into Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. Here's where things get interesting. The domestic box office for Doctor Strange, it's still in theaters now, so these numbers will go up, but it's it's tapering off, is $208 million. Now, Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, not making your money back on US sales, that means the movie was a flop. It was considered a failure if you didn't make that $330 million back. But no one counts domestic box office only as the benchmark for success anymore. Do you know what the international uh, box office I was? I don't. I don't. Four hundred and ten million. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, and nobody counts the domestic only anymore because nobody that's counts it. not how we not how houses release movies anymore. Yeah. Ten years ago, they released it in the U.S. and two months later, they released it around the world, or a month later, or three weeks later, or whatever. And now they release it same time, same mm-hmm. day, all around the world, or at least in many markets around the world. Yeah. So that's part of the reason that that rightfully went away because it doesn't matter as much. Doesn't anymore. seem to matter as much anymore. And uh, part of that. So part of that international box office number was $44 million opening weekend in China, which is which we'll get to when we talk about the controversial aspect of things. So that's a huge, huge coming out party in China. Total revenue so far, $618 million. I would say Marvel's got to be quite happy with that, at least doubled the uh, the investment on that. Well, yeah, I mean, you would think that they would be, but who knows? They're, they're putting out films that make a billion dollars in the first two months now. So, I, they, oh, geez, I mean, they, we yeah, only made $330 million. This sucks. I mean, you know, obviously, a project in the black is a project in the black, no matter how big you are. Uh-huh. But at the same time, who knows what their expectations are? Anything that's a public publicly traded company has to oh, yeah. have shareholders wanting, you know, wanting more and more and more. And I'm a shareholder, I, not in Marvel, but I own stocks and things. And me, I don't necessarily need more profit year over year, year over year, year over year. I need something sustainable so that there's an economy. Mm. But but I don't think that's how, when you're the person saying next year needs to be bigger, better, stronger, faster, bigger, better, stronger, faster. I don't think that you're thinking that. So who knows whether or not $418 million yeah. is a success in its first few weeks. We really don't know. You want to hope so. You're $618 million, right? You would right? I would like to think that if they made $300 million that they're happy and there's going to be another Doctor Strange uh, and probably a third Doctor Strange before Doctor Strange gets rebooted. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk, speaking of Doctor Strange, let's talk about the cast a little bit. Uh, so Benedict Cumberbatch mm-hmm. plays Dr. Stephen Strange. Uh, I don't have, I have sort of a passing familiarity with Benedict Cumberbatch. I obviously know him from the internets and the world He's at large. He's very popular on the internets. He's very popular. And mm-hmm. uh, I still laugh that my mom, for some reason, calls him Benny. I have no idea why. She is, we don't know him. We don't know his family. We, she's not a huge fan and has seen every movie he's ever put out. Yet calls him Benny, which I find fascinating. They go down to the pub on the corner and have I, a pint together. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I will say this. I um, I was surprised. He's a little cuter, for, to me, scruffier, mm-hmm. which there's this part where Dr. Stephen Strange is scruffy. And I was like, oh, yeah, that looks more, he looks more uh, less ethereal and more human. I thought they did a he fit the part so perfectly well. And a lot of his hair and the Fu Manchu and the costume. But that dude... Absolutely. He's also tall and lank and lean. Yeah. I kind of looked at pictures he afterwards. So Absolutely looks like Doctor Strange walked right out of the comic. And when uh, when they, they do that, when they make it true to the comics, that's as a comic book reader, that's always far more enjoyable to me. Like, ah, oh, thank you. There's a reason I followed this. And now you know that. And now you're giving us what we want. It was very cool. Yeah. Speaking of that, uh, Tilda Swinton plays a character which is... Uh, the character is in the comic books, as I understand it, but the character's gender and orig- um, nation of origin and all that stuff is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she plays the ancient one. Yeah. And that we'll talk a little bit more about that later, yeah. but there's a that's a departure from the comic books. She cool. was lovely. She was great. And an Oscar winner mm-hmm. showing up in this role. I mean, you know, Mar- it's, it's weird. Some people still think of Marvel's being like these, you know... Um, throw away cheap sci-fi movies and like, dude, they're getting the biggest talent in Hollywood to play their movies. So mm-hmm. it was very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, for as Mordo, the sidekick who is set up and remember spoiler cast who is set up as the villain for the sequel. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a very, <laughs> for me, that's, that was sort of one of the lighter, um, it was not so heavy-handed as it could have been mm-hmm. since it's a comic book movie. But because I don't have the comic book uh, in my head, it's a. It was a little. It felt forced. It a little too little. It yeah. was. Yeah. It was like okay. So he seems. I guess now he's the bad guy. Yeah. You're like why? Uh, why is he so mad? I mean, it, it, you could see. As, as someone who writes screenplays now, you can see the uh, the obstacles and and things that the screeners have to address to get the story from point A to point B and set it up for the sequel. There's mm-hmm. limited options for them if they're going to be consistent and not just come up with a brand new villain for the second movie. So they're really working hard to keep things consistent and give us that long form storytelling. But it was a it was a tough it was a tough fit. As a little aside, uh, if you enjoy Chiwetel Ejiofor's 
uh, performance here, or you have seen him in other things and you like him in other things, definitely watch Kinky Boots if you haven't yet. It would have been when it came out at an art house theater, Mm -hmm. not at a blockbuster theater like Doctor Strange was, but he's magnificent and and it's a great movie. I have never seen that. Uh, One of my personal favorites, uh, so good looking, it's distracting, usually distracts from the story, Rachel McAdams as Christine Palmer this sort of kind of love interest. Mm-hmm. And they did not, uh, you know, the screenwriters did some very cool stuff in this where they used the tropes they had to use to tell a comic book story, but then they didn't turn this into like, well, we're going to take traditional Marvel story and we're turn it into boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl, all of the cliche tropes. So they managed yeah. to avoid the cliche I tropes, think, which I appreciated. Yeah, I think Hulk, the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk did a little bit of that. And I don't know if that's Ang Lee mm-hmm. or... If that was Ang Lee or if that was back in the day before Mar- Marvel was the powerhouse it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to say that they weren't powerful then, but they're not, not who they are not today. Not like now, not like now. So yeah. I wonder if there was a little bit of, yeah, no, but I mean, you know, yes, I know, but not everybody who we want to come to see this movie has read those comic right. books. And the thing that will draw these ladies in is a love story or whatever. Mm-hmm. And... um and now they just can say like, yeah, no, doing this, <laughs> you know? Well, we went through that. See, as a child of the 80s, uh, we were given Marvel stuff on TV and in the cartoons. And it was infuriating to a lot of us because we're like, this is nothing, literally nothing like what's in the comic. Why doesn't Spider-Man fight a, ba- a supervillain? It was a lot of things like that. And you could almost, even then, you could almost see Hollywood going... Yes, yes, yes. You guys have sold millions of comic books, but sit down in the corner, Bobby, and we'll show you how to make an actual movie. And at some right. point, Marvel was like, screw you guys. We right. know how to tell these stories. We're going to tell these stories our own way, and it's just blown up. Right. And uh, Mads Mikkelsen, who I thought looked great as this spooky bad guy. Yeah, he did. And I think part of the reason this is, um, I found really, really nice. There's several choices, and we'll talk more about it a little bit uh, throughout the cast, but there are several choices that the costume and makeup team did mm-hmm. that I think really helped change the idea that these all these mystics are good and bad or good and bad or good and bad and that it isn't all that easy in black and white and so this guy who believes he is I, he genuinely he is absolutely the bad guy mm-hmm. and he genuinely believes he's doing the only right thing he can mm-hmm. do uh, but as he changes you actually watch uh, the makeup effects which are very cool they're part very practical cool. and they kind of darken and crack the skin around his eyes and then they light up his eyes and a little uh, light tattoo on his forehead or something whatever that is mm-hmm. but um, I notice it's not an infinity symbol like some of the people in your books. It's not It's not an infinity symbol. <laughs> but it's a similar thing, right up there on the forehead to show that now he's part of the Dark Lords. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, then, and then the CGI folks went in on the top of the practical makeup effects and added just a few tiny touches, not to show how big their paintbrush was, mm-hmm. but to really add to it. And I thought that was pretty cool. I thought costuming, it was super comic booky. They did mm-hmm. it. They were really, really true to the comic books and it, and I, as a comic book reader I, I felt respected I'm like okay they're not ch- gonna change everything they did that a, a lot of different ways but let's let's talk about these characters a little bit I thought all the performances were pretty good I thought Rachel McAdams stole the show as far as the most effortlessly believable performance she did really well in her part but the, it was the interaction to me like all mm-hmm. the lines were there I could you could see the Guardians of the Galaxy influenced dialogue you know, we have this situation and here's one little quip and then it gets a little bit uncomfortable and then here's where the audience laughs, but nobody in the screen laughs. It just didn't, it wasn't bad per se, but I guess it just didn't really, everything didn't seem to gel for me. Yeah. And it's interesting because it totally gelled for me, but it, you know, it's also a story about a smarmy, smartassy, New York City, highfalutin surgeon mm-hmm. who finds his mystic power in Nepal. So it's already ridiculous. I think part of the reason that I agree with you that Rachel McAdams did great, mm-hmm. and I'm certainly not diminishing her performance, but she also was in the most sort of realistic in the real world kind of role. Yes. So it's easy to act like a surgeon because you've seen 10,000 surgeons. It's difficult to act, you know, act like Doctor Strange once he's acquired mystic powers and a magic cape because mm-hmm. we've never seen that. So I'm not saying that this is, you know... 
you know, nobody's being robbed of an Oscar or anything, but it's easier to, to do something you've seen and reenact and know. And we all also have that same imprint. We all know what a surgeon or I play one on TV and all that's yep. supposed to look like. So I feel like she did a great job and she was very understated, which is really nice. She had one costume because it's essentially most, you know, she's a doctor. So every time she's pretty much every time, I guess she had two costumes mm-hmm. um, that we see her, she's in a hospital setting. So that's exactly right. Like little things weird little things bother me for no good reason like there's a scene where she's in hospital scrubs and uh wearing black nail polish yeah and i have no idea if doctors can wear nail polish I don't know. and i i have just recently been to the doctor a handful of times including this morning after i saw dr strange looked at everybody in the office Checking to see if out. they were wearing nail polish and only the reception desk was wearing polish well tell you spades and cargill writing the screenplay that was one of my favorite parts of it is they completely avoided the tired, trite cliche of, okay, here's our character who is becoming a mystic, and here's this character's significant other, and the significant other does not believe what he or she is seeing. Which is also ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it's such, and I, I was surprisingly shocked by this in the movie because I'm so inured to this is coming. Now we're going to watch Rachel McAdams go, this can't be happening. I must, be, I, am I going crazy? And, 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 all of that 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 um, Scully element to things was gone, and she because she is a high level medical professional. She looked at it, she saw it, she n- believed what she was seeing, and just getting rid of the whole. I don't know. This can't be real. Like well, getting rid of that, that was though. great. She just said it in this very quick, understated way because she was under a lot. She was time locked because I think in the both cases where she realizes that the world isn't exactly like she thought up until that moment, mm-hmm. are she's under quite a lot of pressure to save a life in both yeah. instances. So there's that. And she That's did say, point. like, That's what is this? This can't be. that. What are you? Like, she does that, mm-hmm. but it's also subtle. She's, it's subtle and she it isn't the main through point of that particular dialogue. The main through point is this man is dying and we have to save them. Right. Or in the second case, this man is you who is speaking to me through the astral plane and yet still dying on my table. Yeah, that was that was the biggest thing. Which is happens. a showing not telling. That's what they say when yeah. they show you show not tell. Obviously she doesn't understand it when you watch her, but she didn't have time for that bullshit. So I, it is what it is. I thought that was a standout element of mm-hmm. the whole movie that they just totally dispensed of this thing. That let's be honest, that's a, that is a Hollywood crutch that has been used forever. It just would not happen in real life. If we're standing here and somebody comes out of the wall and is floating right in front of us and starts talking to us, odds are we might go like, this is crazy. This Do can't be happening. That? Do you but, see that? Yeah, the second some a second you have confirmation for somebody else that's there, we're not that whole game of this isn't happening, I think, particularly in these high-level crisis situations, that goes away. Yeah. Normal normal, smart, well-adjusted people would see something and go, "Okay, this is this is fucked up, but this is actually happening," and then begin to address the problem. So I thought that oddly that added a huge element of realism. Maybe that's why I liked her role so much because of the, yeah. the the setting the screenwriters gave her. Maybe, and I think that you know there are a whole bunch of devices like that in movie making. Mm-hmm. Um, there is nobody, 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 nobody on earth either looks the way that two movie stars look when they're having a love scene mm-hmm. or makes love that way, <laughs> you know, cause it's always with one arm back. So you can see like, so that the camera can get right Close in there. Close up on the gripping hands. Yeah. No, yeah, no, I, I'm not saying no one on earth cause I haven't slept with everyone on earth, but um, <laughs> no one I've ever been with does that whole, let me grasp your hands too much romantic BS there. So, uh, those things are devices that help us in an in an show don't tell way, right? And and they can get stale and cliche, of course, as well. You when, know? You, when you get away from them, like right. holy cow! So that I, that was just, that was stellar. Uh, let's talk about the special effects. Okay. I, I was just to me, and I'm old and I'm jaded. I understand this. I will probably, as people continue to listen to this podcast, they'll probably hear me being more jaded about stuff than you are. Yes, I think that's I think assumption. that's the case. But <laughs> it just was, it was a giant, sh- overwhelming smorgasbord of crap. All of this, it was like a Transformers movie. Yeah. The biggest problem was it was this crazy Transformers movie where in its inception meets Transformers and everything looks flat on the screen. And you're just like, okay, now this stuff's moving. Now this stuff's moving. And the, the, the efficiency they had with the script, with the dialogue and the script and the streamlined storytelling 
all of that almost is like, okay, now that we've made this part so good, let's just have a bunch of things happening on the screen. Yeah, and I didn't mind this at all. I think the Inception effects were better than Inception. I Mm -hmm. think that whatever that um, media is has gotten more finesse as it's gotten, as it's grown up. That digital media is, I think, better. They do a little... Uh, building, twisting. There's something called the mirror universe to our own universe where things happen to you inside the mirror universe, but you can't affect the outside world. So you and I could go and battle in the mirror universe, and if neither one of us die in the mirror universe, we could both come back to this universe without all the scrapes and scratches and bruises that we would have gotten. Mm -hmm. This is actually a super subtle effect, and kudos to the makeup team. Every time we went from outside the mirror universe in the real world into the mirror universe every one of the major players and some of the minor ones especially in the big battle at the end or the big scene at the end um if they especially dr strange has a lot of marks on his face because he got in a car wreck and then he's in a bunch of fights so he's bleeding from the eye and he's got blood coming out of one ear goes into the mirror universe and he's perfect hmm And that happened for everybody. And I loved it because it wasn't like, again, like you were saying, there was no moment where he notices his arm isn't, it's, you know, his arm isn't cut anymore or whatever. It's just part of the scenery. Mm -hmm. And I loved that. That was super subtle. Also for me, I didn't mind that when they were doing that big, let let us show you how big our digital software is. (laughs) Uh, I didn't mind it at all that we went from an in the scene moment to a proscenium moment where we were back outside the fourth wall looking at all that take place. Mm -hmm. But I think that affects you, especially in a fight scene. Like you don't want them to pull back the camera, especially since the fight scene wasn't too shaky cam, which you hate. Uh, you don't. You want to be right there in the thick of things and watching people fight, and be as if you're standing right there. And you can't do that when they pull back to a twenty thousand foot. Yeah, they had to pull back and show the whole city. And I was like, that's cool. <laughs> I mean, it was cool, but just it seemed to me it seemed like too much over reliance on massive special effects. And part of me getting jaded. I'm kind of used to massive special effects. Like I haven't watched a Transformers movie since the first one because okay, this I see what these fights gonna be like. I can't tell what's going on, and. You, you could kind of tell what was going on in the Doctor Strange fight, but not all the time. It was just, and that gets into my own personal movie, my own personal pop culture sensibilities, which are, it was a lot of magic. It was a lot of completely random magic with very few rules. I only kind of caught two rules out of the magic system. You have to have the brass knuckles ring to yeah. be able to teleport. Yeah. And an artifact chooses you. Outside of that, I mean, there was no structure. You could, like, anything could happen. And... When anything can happen and anything does happen, it sort of, to me, takes away from the magic of when this significant thing happens in the fight, it means something. Yeah, and I disagree. I don't think that anything could happen. Like, for example, Doctor Strange can fly, but he can only fly after the cloak that is his magic relic Mm -hmm. chooses him. Because it is the cloak that can levitate, not him. So before that, he doesn't fly up into the sky and he doesn't do any of that and... Uh, and again, the the thing that you like about it, like he didn't, he did have some wobbly bits when he first was using the cloak, yep. but it wasn't like, oh, I can't, I don't know how if I've never been flying before. It wasn't so obvious and on the nose. It was just yet a little bit of wobbly time, as would anybody if the cloak you were wearing was directing where you were headed. Mm-hmm. But I think we just didn't know a lot about it. I think there's one other rule that we could probably suss out, which is every mass, everybody who trained as a master... Mm-hmm. Um, had to agree not to use their magic for evil and not to tap into dark magic because mm-hmm. that's a pretty big plot point. And uh, so there is, and that that actually breaks the, it, it sort of breaks bad right at the end for one of the characters that he's right. like, wait a minute, we're not supposed to engage in the evil dark arts, so to speak. We swore an oath. Yeah, and and that's not exactly how it ends. It ends that, of course, just like in the real world, in the magic world, it isn't as simple as good. Isn't this correct? And it isn't, and that's a big, big trope that I think they cover very subtly and very well. And it's super important, especially in a superhero universe, that things aren't. It's not that it doesn't always break good for you. It's that nothing is ever black and white or good and bad. Mm -hmm. Full stop. You can be the best person you can be, but if Every day you walk out to your car and you kill an ant, and ant, the ant 
populace is going to think you're pretty shitty. And that's become part of the Marvel formula too. They kind of, a, a benchmark for those movies is that gray area. Yeah. You can see it with Captain America and see it with the, with Avengers too. They really mm-hmm. played on that a lot. Especially and that's, with Bucky, you see that a lot. Yeah. And getting into those um, morally ambiguous situations where there's two answers and they're both equally wrong. That's a staple of, of what Marvel does. And the, the ancient one exemplifies that in this. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Speaking of the ancient one, now we get to the controversy. Yeah, and it's interesting. You At the beginning of the top of the hour, you called it a social media controversy. And I think it's just, it's something worth talking about, but I, I, I'm not, I'm not as, on, uh, as uh, active on social media as you are, but I, until you read this Guardian article mm-hmm. to me, I didn't know anything about it, except that I understand the general idea. We're getting into the, we're getting this because this is part of the business of sure. storytelling now. So uh, regardless of reviews on this, we're going to kind of be agnostic on the views and just discuss some of the particulars. The biggest thing is um, the ancient one is a man in the comic books. It is a man from Tibet. And Tibet is an area that is politically sensitive to China. China is the number two movie market in the world. Your movie has to sell in China or you're not going to make your money back. And if it doesn't get shown in China, as we saw with the Ghostbusters movie, there was a cultural element with, you know, dealing with dead spirits uh, where they just didn't show it in China. That's a huge loss to, uh, to the movie. So, In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. On a remote island in Frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. C. Robert Cargill, who is one of the screenwriters, went on a podcast called The Double Toasted Podcast because Marvel was catching a lot of crap for uh, why would you, why did you not put an Asian actor in this role? Right. And although or they, even an Asian actress. Asian actor or actress. Right. And it, the bottom line is, the bottom line is this. In a realistic situation, they cast a major movie star, Tilda Swinton, in this role so they could sell more tickets and have a bigger... Bigger, bigger box office draw. But it, that's the high level, but it gets deeper than that. So C. Robert Cargill on this podcast said, uh, describing Strange's magical mentor as, quote, a racist stereotype who comes from a region of the world that is a very, very, weird, very weird political place. He originates from Tibet. So if you acknowledge that Tibet is a place and that he's Tibet, Tibetan, you risk alienating 1 billion people who think that's bullshit and risk the Chinese government going, hey, you know one of the biggest film-watching countries in the world? We're not going to show your movie because you decided to get political. So that is, and he was off the reservation, so to speak. He was n- not authorized by Marvel to talk about this. He was just shooting off the yeah. top of his head and, and having a conversation. And later on, he went and, and backpedaled all this because I think, obviously, Marvel went, dude, you'd had no right to talk about that stuff. Right, right. But when it came out... Um, that was the big thing. Cargill also remarked on a lack of criticism for Marvel over the decision to cast Swinton in a traditionally male role. And he said, um, Cargill's in the, in this article, it really talks about, you know, that this was a box office decision from square one. Although Marvel has denied this now, but it's, yeah. it's about, we have to make sure this plays in China. Yeah. Well, and that's important. It's, it's an, it's, it's just what we were just talking about that. Nothing is as easy as it seems. Nothing is black and white. Nothing mm-hmm. is good or bad. Right. Because if you want to make, continue to make movies, right. You have to consider those things. And we've said on this, ca- well, on podcasts and previously, since this is the first episode of Smack, yes. I'll say it again here. 
Um, we often, you go do book readings, you go to pub crawls, you do things like that. We'll do more of that in the new year. Um, and people frequently say like, oh my God, I loved Ancestor so much. When is that going to be a movie? Mm-hmm. But don't let them change Magnus at all. Or they right. especially say, um, I love the, why isn't the Infected trilogy movies yet? But don't let them change a thing about Perry Dossie. And Perry Dossie is sort of big and brutish and overly angry and, and a big scary white man. Mm-hmm. And so... It's interesting because in the beginning, we as moviegoers and potential hopeful movie IP creators were like, yeah, no, I'm with you. Like part of the magic of Perry, if you haven't read the Infected series, you should. But part of the magic of Perry is he is awful in a bunch of ways, but good in a bunch of ways, Mm -hmm. too. And you have to weigh that. And so bringing... Um, the Rock, who we would cast in a heartbeat, sort of looks the part and feels the part, but that isn't his acting milieu. He's not going to be angry and awful. Mm-hmm. He's always going to be the muscle man with a heart of gold, always. So he wouldn't quite fit for Perry, but everybody would agree like he'd be a great fit. Right. That said, we now have taken to saying, like, dude, if they want to make Perry Dossie a five-year-old girl and can sell the story, don't care. Right. And Perry, we want to make a movie. <laughs> Infected is a trilogy that I wrote that came out in 2008, 2000, no, 2007. Book two was Contagious in 2008. Book three to complete the trilogy was Pandemic, which came out in 2013. Mm-hmm. It's very spooky. It's very gory. It's and, not, not and, for the faint of heart. Yes. And the main character of the first book is Perry Dossie. Cannot possibly be in that version mm-hmm. of Infected, in the novel version, couldn't be a five-year-old girl. In fact, one of the biggest villains of Contagious is a five-year-old girl. That said, if somebody said, okay, what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you a budget of $250 million mm-hmm. just for production, and I'd like to you to have creative control, and the only request I'm making is we need to change... And so the protagonist or the antagonist of the second book, whose name is Chelsea in Contagious, is actually the same protagonist throughout. Mm-hmm. Rewrite it. Can you rewrite it? We would say yes, sir. Yeah, we can find a way to you we guys can figure that out. You guys with want you. Taylor Swift to be the star? <laughs> yes, we can we can make that happen because making a movie is very, very difficult. You have a phrase you use all the time. People are complaining about how awful a movie is like it's better than any movie I ever made. Yeah. So we're not into that yet. But that's your point is at some point you sort of have to choose, are you going to make the movie? Like, do you want to get 90% of what you want Mm -hmm. and still get the movie made? Or are you going to fight and die on the hill of 100% creative control? Yes, I need to to do that. Now, uh, now I need to, uh, yes, we're going to absolutely have a Tibetan man in that role. Mm -hmm. And China won't buy it. That's okay. You can make that choice. Or you can make the choice like, okay. I can't, uh, if I can't have that, what can I have? And there are options. The reality is they didn't, whether or not China sees that as controversial, they didn't get controversial. They got controversial when Dr. Strange appeared dozens and dozens of years ago. They weren't making a point. They were, in fact, making no point back then because that's where a mystic comes from. Yeah. So they were sort of getting unpolitical in a way. Mm -hmm. But I know that you also have another article because there's controversy with the controversy, right? Yeah. Well, then George Sakai, who's a regular uh, proponent of weighing in on this whitewashing, let's put a a white movie star in a person of color's role. He came back with a great angle on that claim by Cargill when he said on his Facebook page, he said, quote, let me get this straight. You cast a white actress so you wouldn't hurt sales in Asia. This backpedaling is nearly as cringeworthy as the casting. Marvel must think we're all idiots. Um, in response to post by fans, Takai claimed Marvel had, quote, already addressed the Tibetan question, end quote, by shifting the ancient ones home to Kathmandu, Nepal in the film. And then here's his great quote. It wouldn't have mattered to the Chinese government by that point whether the character was white or Asian, as it was already in another country. So this is a red herring, and it's insulting that they expect us to buy their explanation. They cast Tilda because they believe white audiences want to see white faces. Audiences, too, should be aware of how dumb and out of touch the studios think we are. Yeah, and it's an interesting thing because we and we've talked we haven't talked about this on the cast very much, but you and I have talked about this quite a lot. The idea that representation matters, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't matter that if the the main female character is a good person, a good character, or a good guy or a bad guy for me. But it does matter that the movie looks sort of like me, that there's somebody in there doing something. I don't care that Daredevil is the star of Daredevil and Elektra is a bad guy. Mm. Spoiler alert. Um, What I care about is it's not Daredevil fighting another white dude from Brooklyn. 
Mm-hmm. It's Daredevil fighting a girl who, guess what, can fight. Mm-hmm. That representation matters. And the reason that China doesn't want a Tibetan ancient mystic is because representation doesn't matter yet to the populace. And not, I'm not maligning anybody, but the way it changes is our art changes. That's how, every, that's how our world changes. Our, our activism changes. Our humanity changes. Our art can changes. Can you change the art? Let's ignore George's comment here for a second because it's really, really valid. Um, yeah. Well, it's not in Nepal anymore, so you make it anybody, or it's not in Tibet, so you make it anybody want, and they chose to do the same ways. Can you have that increased representation if you don't get movies to continue in the franchise? There will not be a Ghostbusters 2. There won't be because it lost so much. There will be a Doctor Strange 2 because it played in China. Exactly. But here's the argument to that. So in the short term and the short answer is obviously no. If Uh there's not going to be another girl Ghostbusters 2 because they can't sell it because they didn't make their international bank. uh, Okay, there's not. But guess what China would do if there were no fucking movies? Just like everybody else on earth, they'd find a fucking way. So the answer, while it's, yes, it's true that we lose out on Ghostbusters 2, mm-hmm. if, if every, it's not negotiating with terrorists, right? It's if everybody says like, yes, you're going to have to get used to the fact that men and women sleep in the same bed. It's no longer the Nelsons anymore. So you're, no you're referring longer. to the Dick Van Dyke show. Well, yeah, and I'm I leave it to Beaver. There's a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. At, it, at some point, that changed, right? And it became not risque to have two people who were purportedly married in the same bed. Mm-hmm. Even though when we saw those movies of two people in different beds who were married, the people who went to the movies who were married couples went home and slept in the same bed, yes. right? So it was totally not reality, but that was the standard, and that's what people accepted. There was also, like, guess who's coming to dinner? Was it sort of a, a, a change in li- in movie um, history and, and forward thinking and whatever, where you have a black man and a white woman on screen mm-hmm. kissing? Those things matter because they matter, and they change because they change. So... If I'm the person who's going to green light or red light a $200 plus million budget Mm -hmm. and I have a kid in college and I have a brand new car and I'm trying to live in a super expensive city of L.A., my decision making matters in a million ways that are not meant to be racist or sexist or or at all diminishing. But at the same time, I can't get fired because my wife is pregnant and has another kid on the way and X, Y, Z. So, okay, we'll make that change. And for all we know, because Marvel's not going to talk about it, for all we know what happened is they were like, yeah, okay, so we got to change the Tibetan mystic guy. Mm -hmm. Right. But why don't we put a woman in? So that's inclusive. That's diversity. That's some of the pushback from, you know, Cargill's side. It's like nobody's even talking about we took this this role that's been male forever. Because we put a woman in the role. Right. But there was still a further level of controversy. Yeah. So, you know, they, they are a business. And if your product doesn't sell in China, your product doesn't sell. End of story. So they have to address it. But let's uh, we'll close up, I think. But we'll talk about George's point. Okay. They moved it to Kathmandu, so now it no longer matters. Right. Is he right about that? At that point, could you like, no, great, now we're going to give this to who's the top three Asian female actresses. And then Cargill also pushed back and I was like, yes, we're damned if we do, damned if we didn't. If we yeah. went with a guy, well, then we put in, then we were using an Asian stereotype as the role as it's written in the comic book. If we went with a woman and we didn't go with an Asian woman, now we're in trouble for whitewashing. If we went with an Asian woman, now we're in trouble again for a racist stereotype. He's like, they can't win. So well, I got I got off track there, but what do you think about George's comment? Yeah, it's it's in Kathmandu. Could they have cast anybody? So I, yes, I think the answer is George's comment is incredibly spot on, and uh-huh. that's the issue. If what you were really trying to do was make it a worldwide acceptable to a worldwide audience, theoretically, if they can accept, honestly, if they can accept ben, Benedict Cumberbatch in the role, they can accept a. An Asian non-Tibetan, an Asian actor mm-hmm. being called Nepalese. Yes, obviously they should, mm-hmm. and and that should have been fine. So clearly, it's a little bit more. But I think the more so, I that is, I think a totally spot-on comment. And I think what matters here. However, um, I also think that it's more important. The more important thing you just said uh, is you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If you don't, right? Mm-hmm. So the answer there, if you are damned if you do and damned if you didn't, and Robert Cargill is right, they were damned either way, mm-hmm. fucking accept that you're damned and fucking take a stand and do something. Do a little good. A little good is better than Didn't no good. Didn't they do good. a little good? They That's put a woman point. in the role. That's where I was headed. Is, okay. Is 
do a little good, but don't be squeamish. And, and, and I know that he maybe spoke out of turn or whatever, and I know they're trying to damage control. So this isn't policy. This isn't canon. This isn't something that Marvel at large as a corporation has talked about. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. I, I think both are okay. I think it is perfectly appropriate for George Takai, who spent time in an American Japanese in ta- containment camp, during World War II as a child, he gets to say, my fucking race matters. My mm. humanity matters. I was born this way, and you could have done better. And I get to say, without diminishing what he said, I'm excited to see a woman in the role. Mm-hmm. And I agree it could have been not a white woman. And I'm allowed to say that without diminishing my humanity. <laughs> and so this idea that damned if you do, damned if you don't, means fuck it, we don't have to pay attention to anything, is part of the pro. And I'm not dogging Robert Cargill at all, but that is part of the problem of changing the world's minds and changing China's minds. You have Mm -hmm. to say like, fuck it, we make movies, we're damned all the time. Mm -hmm. How are we going to be damned this time? And fucking do it. That's what I think. And I think that's how 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 things change, right? Because nobody is making that big argument about fucking no women at all in that. Well, now we're getting into, as Netflix is getting ready to come out with Iron Fist, and Iron Fist has always been a white dude. And mm-hmm. it, the, the, the dynamic of it in the 70s when they came out with this comic book was Power Man and Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. White and black male characters as a duo together, mm-hmm. which was groundbreaking. And a lot of the old comic books from then were showing this white male character who goes to, learns the mystic arts right. and comes back as the greatest master of the Iron Fist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, th- him coming back and working with Luke Cage with Power Man was, you know, the white perspective when it's stories are set in the hood and right. the story, he's surrounded by people of color and black. So it was a very progressive comic book for the time. Now, the, now the script is coming out and, uh, or I'm sorry, the show is in production and it's a white dude, just like in the comic books. And they're getting, they're getting a lot of pushback from that too. For it being a white yeah, like of course it's a white guy who goes to the Orient and becomes the greatest ever, the great white hope kind of thing, and then and then he comes back. So why don't you make him like he should be an Asian character? And like, okay, now that's I don't feel bad for Marvel because they're making money hand over fist, but it's a very difficult if they want to be respectful to their audiences and they clearly do. That's a really hard thing to go. It's of course it's a really hard thing, but if you think about the legacy and the institutionalized. Um, non-aggressive, uh, non-angry, non-intentional, but institutionalized choices that are dozens and dozens, decades and decades old. Mm-hmm. You think, right, so you're saying if there was an all-black cast, all-black comic books, or all-gay comic books, that's an easier one to sort of see. Would those comic books have been published back then? I'm not so sure. So, of course, most of the, most of the heroes... And most of the characters mm-hmm. are strong men who look just like the buyers of the book, which is you, not me. I mm-hmm. didn't grow up reading comic books. You did. Not that girls don't. But overwhelmingly, you kind of, it's difficult. And that's why it's never black or white and never good, or, good all good or all bad. It's right. complex. And we have to start treating it as a complex thing. Because, of course, Iron Fist is a white dude. Because if it was reversed and it was Power Man was the, was the one who had all the power and all the glory, that may not have been acceptable in the early 70s. It might have, but it might well, it wasn't, not it wasn't. It wasn't that so much as we have white guy going to Asian territory, becoming the best fighter ever at this particular Asian discipline. Right. And that, you know, that that's what got some pushback. I'm, my biggest concern with all of this is at some point, Marvel seems to keep trying, like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a good example, mm-hmm. where they're, they're trying to do better and do what they can. But they got to be, I mean, from their perspective, they got to be exhausted. They put Tilda Swinton in this role and it made people really, really mad. They're sticking to the source material of, of, of Iron Fist and that's making people, some people really, really mad. I don't know. I wonder what their office atmosphere is like as they're trying to go through these decisions. Like, what's going to cause us the least amount of damage? Yeah, and you know, that's an essential and important. We have conversations like that about uh-huh. some of the things that we do. And um, if you, if anybody out there has read Scott's short story, The Case of the Haunted Safeway, it's an interesting example. We've ha- we had a couple of discussions. And spoiler, general, mild spoiler alert for that, it's a story about a paranormal investigator who investigates... Um, homosexual paranormal ghosts mm-hmm. and um and and, and you did the what's happening in the marvel offices is just the same thing that ha- or should be the same thing that sort of happened here where you're like i'm a little concerned about this and i was like great i'm concerned about this other thing and you're like i don't think that matters for this reason and i don't matter and 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 this is the story i really want to go with and i feel strongly about mm-hmm. 
And so I don't know that it is value-adding for me personally to wonder whether or not Marvel, who is part of the institution we are now trying to gently make more inclusive, I'm not going to spend a lot of time and energy wondering if they're exhausted. If they're exhausted, they can get better. The problem with them getting exhausted is they stop listening. And when they stop listening, you're like, in an institution like that, if they get to the point of like, well, fuck it. It doesn't matter what we do. They hate us anyway, so we're just going to do whatever we want. And they stop listening to people because they have the right to do that because they're the ones who made these characters. They're the ones who brought these, who had these stories sure. for 60, 70 years. They have every right to say, we're going to put it out just like it is in the comic books. And I'm sorry you don't like it. If you don't like it, go, don't go to the movies. So that's right. where I get concerned about them being exhausted. They just like, they're like, screw it. I can't imagine that Marvel will stop making movies because I would no, like no, there no, to no. be more not, women. Not stop making movies. They say, screw it. If we try something to be part of this movement and we're still getting castigated for it, why would we even do that? Let's just make the movies just like they are in the comic books, stay true to the source material, and not worry about all this stuff. Yeah. That's the exhausting thing that they're, well, they could I'm do. Well, I'm going to wait for them to actually tell me they're exhausted by either just making it source material and fuck you, I don't care about your inclusion, or... To tell me, look, we're trying. Uh, I mean, you know, I know Tilda Swinton offended some people, but that's a woman in a huge position of power, and we were trying to do good. If Robert Cargill had said that specifically, like, you know, we were in a pickle because of budget decisions that needed to be made, and we were kind of, there were ligatures there we couldn't really work around, and we thought, can we? Okay, so we can't get in a Tibetan dude because that'll offend China, but we could put a girl in there and that would still be better. If he'd said something like that, it might not have been so black and white. I also think it's off the record inform I mean it's off the reservation, as you said, information. So mm -hmm. I don't want to dog eat anybody. Yeah, and too we're much. we're also we didn't hear the whole podcast. We're just cherry picking the comments that right. we picked out. Yeah, so yeah. He could have put all that into context. And we don't know. And it's important to note that we're kind of cherry picking. But for me, you know, if they want to stop me and if they want to do that and there are people who have a big, loud, rowdy voice and say that's a bunch of bullshit, mm -hmm. that's fine. But eventually things change. People vote with their wallets, right? So if there was a movie that came out today that had men and women sleeping in separate beds and no interracial couples and the N-word freely being used to, to marginalize and diminish people of color, mm -hmm. I don't think we'd see it and I don't think it'd do well. Okay. So there's got to be a starting point. So for me personally, I'm not saying that Marvel has to just trudge through this and be hate their jobs and be frustrated all the time. I am saying that if they're worried about that and they're trying, they could communicate that and let us know they're frustrated and how can we do better or how can you guys and can you give us a break? But with no communication, I am not going to give them the benefit of the doubt and try not to say, well, what hey. Do you, like, when you say no communication, what do you mean? Like if they put out a press release, there's a, in here's a quote somewhere from Marvel saying, right, here's what we did. We got a chance to put an amazing actress, Tilda Swinton, in this role. We're very excited to have her be part of this and make the best movie possible for all people. I'm paraphrasing. But right. they, they, they had their spin doctors come in and say, this is what we're going to say. And they said it. So they're communicating. They're trying to reach well, out yeah, to Yeah, but that's also post hoc communication too, right? So um, there is the, the opportunity to say, which sometimes doesn't work. Witness girl Ghostbusters, right? And nobody calls it girl Ghostbusters but me. But uh, they said like, yes, we are making this movie. Mm -hmm. And they got rations of shit and they still made their movie. Mm -hmm. And there were consequences for making the movie they wanted to make. And some of those consequences are fiscal and bad, like the China thing. And some of those consequences are all that of a was, sudden... That was... All of a sudden, there are huge numbers of girls who have heroes just like you had when the first Ghostbusters came out. Because I loved Ghostbusters when it came out, but I didn't think I could be a Ghostbuster. So what happens is, yes, there are consequences, but some are good and some are bad. And hopefully those things meet in the middle and you, right. and you make the best choice you can at the time because nothing is easy. And where Ghostbusters really screwed up had absolutely nothing to do with any of that. They made a show about ancestors' spirits coming back and China was like, we're not showing that at all. Had absolutely nothing to do with the casting. Right. So well, the, well, mis right. the mistakes that they made, they somebody just... I don't know if that's like somebody had to do that so that Hollywood's like, oh shit, we got to not do that. And we've had, exactly, we've actually, we've yeah. actually talked about that in our pitch meetings mm -hmm. where we're sitting down in front of a company that wants to buy one of our stories. We're like, and this is great because these monsters are scientific. So it'll play fine in China. Right. And in the room, people are like, that's a fucking good point. You know, is that, was, exactly did right, somebody yeah. miss that on the, the movie team or did it just like it's one of those obvious things that nobody thinks about until it blows up in your face? Or they thought about it and was like, fuck it, we're still making this movie and it will suck. 
Mm-hmm. Because back in the day, it didn't matter if you know when the first Ghostbusters came out, it didn't matter if China no, there would was see no it. market over there. But now, of course, it matters. So you learn as you go, and people do it all the time. You you know you don't do it whether or not you're choosing chive cream cheese or plain cream cheese every morning. But at some point in every day, people make a line in the sand choice, even if it's right. little. I am not going to you know the we work in an urban area, and there's some you know I walk the dogs in the middle of the day, and there are people who are mentally unstable who shout or walk up to you and shout right in your face. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, every time that happens to me, as long as they don't touch me, which doesn't work out well, if they touch me, they make a decision. I make a decision. Like I, I don't suffer that every day. I am not going to yell right back at him. Mm -hmm. He's already having a shitty enough day. So everybody does that. And, you know, you can do it for $225 million or you could do it for 10, you know, 10 cents difference in cream cheese. Like you make a decision and you stand by it. Okay. And people do it every day and they're just doing it on a much bigger scale. And the more you do that, the more things change. Ma'am, uh, what is our, what is our scoring system going to be for story smack? Is it five smacks? Is it a percentage? Like, so we can compare to the tomato meter, which is hugely useful. Uh, what do you think? I think it might be, f- I, I think we might have to have, cause there, isn't there sort of an emoticon? I think it, or an emoji. I think it's supposed to be a waving hand, but it sort of looks like a high five. Yeah. Well, there's the the praying one, which is is high, oops, which is high five, and then we'll f- we could find we we'll can figure make something one. out. Shoot. But I sort of feel like, and if anybody has any recommendations, I sort of feel like it should be one to five smacks, and then if we both like, if it's two five stars or five smacks or whatever, that's a smackdown. My only <laughs> my only contribution to the nomenclature is that's a smackdown. Okay, I like I like that's a smackdown. I was about to suggest that our icon should be shown off from Barry Gore's The Last Dragon, oh. five shown offs, but the the smackdown is a. Uh, the SmackDown is pretty good. Yeah. So we will, uh, but now you have to give a score. So for now, we're going to go with five smacks out of a scale of one, zero smacks to five smacks. How many smacks do you give this? More so, smacks are positive. More smacks are positive. For me, I'm going to give this a, and this is all movies of all time have to fit into the five smack rating, right? Well, until we change the system, I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> right now, this is the system. So I'm going to say that. No, they're, okay. I think to answer your question, you could have as many five star. They're not, it's not graded on a bell curve. Right? But, right. But for me, every movie I've ever seen, I have to give one to five, right? That's where we're going with right now. Oh, geez. So then this is a solid three. A solid three. It was super entertaining. I did have to consciously suspend disbelief, which you don't always have to do in the movies. And I mm-hmm. did at that moment. I could have done better. I was like, all right, am I in or am I out? I'm in. <laughs> but I thought it was entertaining. I think it's beautiful to look at. I think um, Benedict Cumberbatch, I haven't uh, seen much other than like what you see the uh, grocery checkout, mm-hmm. but uh, I think he's a little bit better looking when he's scruffy, which you don't see very much. Okay. Um, but I thought it was very, very pretty. I think the costume editing, I, I think the costume, the sound editing, the makeup were all great mm-hmm. and and um, subtle in the movie, which is so important. And um, it thoroughly, I thought it was ter- thoroughly entertaining. It. And shockingly enough, I'm now going to go to my my smacks, I'm gonna give it three and a half smacks. I actually rate a movie higher than you do. That you liked less. That I liked less because of the heavy lifting and the skill that was put into the screenplay. All the different things that they had to introduce in that screenplay and the cool stuff they did with Rachel McAdams being just, I see it, it's there, it's real, let's deal with the situation and the things along those lines. I thought that the overall direction and performance did not elevate some of the dialogue to the place it could be but I give it that extra half smack because that I, you know, now I analyze everything as far as screenwriting and how the parts go together. I thought that they did a lot of work in the screenplay to make it. I'm really amazed. Impressed. Actually. I was impressed. Yeah, yeah, I'm really amazed because you definitely didn't like it as much as I did. No, you it enjoyed was... it more, but I'm going to give it a little yeah. higher score. But you did say it was better than a poke in the eye. It wasn't. It by no means was it a bad movie. Right. We've seen no some. means whatsoever. Yeah. It was totally worth the money. I highly recommend seeing it. There was just a lot of a lot of stuff going on there. I'm like, I don't. I, I felt old. I'm like, I don't understand what's happening with the buildings <laughs> and the grinding and the people falling all over the place. What's going on up there? I don't know. There's a lot of that for me. Yeah. All right. Well, that is our show for this week. If you have questions for Scott or for me, or if you have a topic you would like us to discuss on a future episode of Story Smack, email us at info at emptyset.com. Again, that's info, I-N-F-O at emptyset.com. You can find us both online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram, and his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I'm a real girl on Twitter and a.real.girl on Instagram. 
You can find us online at scotttaylor.com slash storysmack, and we would love to see your comments there. You can find us on iTunes just searching for Scott Sigler Audiobooks and subscribe. You'll get a free audiobook episode every Sunday and a big hit of Story Smack every Friday. Come back next week for more episode and we'll talk some more smack. Talking smack. Thanks so much, Scott Sigler. Thank you. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.